You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello, everyone. The episode you're about to listen to is made possible by our producer-level patrons, Sarah Sawashka-Dalton, Anna-Marie Piccioni, and Teresa Rogers. We appreciate you so, so much, as well as all of our other patrons who help make the Art History Babes possible. If you would like to find out how to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. For as low as $1 a month, you can gain access to an entire backlog of exclusive episodes. We produce one exclusive episode every month for our patrons and for the month of March we're going to be doing a special Patreon only Q&A episode. All four of us, me, Nat, Ginny, and Jen will be answering your questions. So if you have any questions for us at all involving art history, school, the podcast, content creation, uh, travel, personal life, whatever, we are here to answer them. So how it's going to work is every question submitted to us from now until March 15th on Patreon will be answered in the March Patreon Q&A episode. So in order to participate, you must be a patron. Luckily, it's very easy to get started. And yeah, from now until March 15th, any question we get, it is going to be answered on that Q&A episode. Also, make sure you check out artandobject.com. We recently began partnering with them. It is a fantastic resource for art and art history. Um, They have some really great articles, really great information, both involving art history and what's going on now in the contemporary art world. They also post podcasts and other art-related content. So check out artandobject.com. And that's all I got. Enjoy the show. From Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. I'm Natalie. And we are the art history babes. What happened? <laughs> Jenny <laughs> just got very confused during our intro. <laughs> I know. I think that we might have done some kind of different order or something. And yeah. It just like blew. Her I think we're all a little hazy given yeah. and we're the drinking... events that went down last night. We're still drinking though, and we're drinking a hazy IPA. It's called the Hazy Little Thing from Sierra Nevada. It's pretty good. It's family owned, operated, and argued over. Did you see that? Well, that's cute. <laughs> that's really that's cute. cute. Yeah, and we're here, and we have a guest. We have a friend, a pal. <laughs> Our buddy Mariah is here. Yay. Hey, Mariah. Hi. Mariah was in our program in grad school, and she is here to talk about something that she loves dearly. Maps. Maps. And <laughs> uh, all of their maps, forms maps, and maps. facets. Yes. But before we get into all that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Mariah? What's, what's your deal? My, my deal? What's your birthstone? Everyone wants to know. Ooh, turquoise. Ooh. Oh, that's a good that's a, that's one. That's a really good one. Yeah. Turquoise. I am a Sagittarius. Nice. nice. Early December birthday. Oh, sad. If that helps frame <laughs> anything I'm about to say. That's great. My people. That's great. <laughs> um, we love a Sagittarius. Astrological context is great. It never hurts. <laughs> it to be sure. <laughs> We're all over the place in the podcast. We've got a Scorpio. We've got a Libra, a Capricorn, and a Virgo. Ooh, yeah, just covering the whole. And yeah, the Sagittarius. Yeah, we're all in a row because yeah. Virgo is followed by Libra, is followed by Scorpio, is followed by Sagittarius, is followed by Capricorn. Yep, that's true. Mm. Oh. So we have like one half <laughs> of the year just straight through. That's wild. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we don't mess around with those Aries, Taurus, <laughs> no, Gemini, none of that. Leo people. None no. of that. No, that's... we're fall, winter people. Yeah, no spring, <laughs> summers here. I didn't even mention Pisces because <laughs> just kidding. Shade. No, I I don't know. I've Jokes. had like I've had some weird experiences with Pisces people. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> 
We'll see. We'll see. I, I want jury, to... jury's still out on Pisces. If you're a Pisces and this is really upsetting to hear, just, you know, reach out. Let, <laughs> tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. There are no words. Making yeah. enemies. <laughs> Coming in strong. Making enemies for no reason. <laughs> Oh my it. god. So what do you do on a day to day basis? <laughs> right? basis? I tell the youth of America how to appreciate art. There we go. Mm-hmm. A modern day hero. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm not sure they think that, but maybe they do. They will someday. Someday. They don't someday. Right now. They'll appreciate it. Yeah, I do that. So That's about the extent of it. Is it just art appreciation right now, or is there any other fun classes on the horizon or that you have taught that you really enjoy? Pretty much it. I teach another class called Monuments of World Art, which is a non-Western survey course, which cool. is a joy. I always like exposing people to new things and new Definitely. ideas that right. actually reflect the culture. I just like them. the title of that class, Monuments. I don't know. It just feels... It's true. It's fun. Monuments is just a great word because it just sounds so fucking important. My Definitely. thesis title had Monument. Oh, yeah. I just remember it that. Did. It did. Monument... And magic, <laughs> and then some other shit. It's <laughs> okay. I don't remember my thesis title. I know it's really long. Yeah, so was mine. How you do it is like you have a couple like flashy, sexy words, and then yeah. you have a colon, yeah, and then, and then a bunch of shit, and after then the that. descriptors. Oh, yeah. it is what it actually is. There is one hundred percent just like a very clear layout of how you come up with a yes. academic thesis yeah, title. We have like a whole class on it. They it have really like the same cadence. They, they just do. have the same flow. Do you all remember the first part before the colon for yours? Oh, mine. I could look it up. Mine was mine was yarn bombing, radical fiber art. Um, and Bertie Sanders, I think. And then something about socialism and craftivism. Yeah, and <laughs> Mine was Enrique Chagoya's Cannibals, colon, The Unnoble Savage, and then I forget what was after that. But it was long. <laughs> but the, the first part's the, like... That's the right. snappy part. Yeah, and it was really part. flashy because it was like, oh, cannibals. Mm-hmm. So Maybe yeah. we'll do a YouTube video on how to write an academic title for an academic paper. Alliteration never <laughs> oh, works. No. It's key. <laughs> it's my go-to. Look at all my papers from grad school. They all do it. Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> It I works. It most works. Of them. It, no, you're right. Because monuments and magic. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> we're good at what we do. <laughs> so uh, we were just watching our forever president, Barack Obama. <laughs> My president. <laughs> <laughs> Telling the youth of America to vote. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't know when this episode's coming out, but I hope you voted. I just want to say yeah. that. Yeah. I hope you did. Do it. It's your civic duty. Yeah, right. It's if a- you didn't vote, <laughs> we're mad at you. We're real mad. <laughs> Do not reach out. <laughs> Do not. And I'm sure I, we have listeners from outside of the U.S. Oh, yeah. So, we have lots of listeners. From you know, looking from the outside, I'm sure that the U.S. looks like a real shit show to everyone in the world right now. <laughs> and you are right. So hopefully some kind of change ushers in through this midterm election. Yeah. So. Let's put that out into the universe. Let's yeah. just hope good things for the I'm, coming weeks. I'm really hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Putting it out there. Yeah, and let's all get out there and vote, and it's going to be good. It's going to be good, you guys. <laughs> it has to be it good. It has to be good. <laughs> it can't get worse. Can it? I I, you know what? I am immediately that. rescind yeah. that <laughs> plot. Right back in. Yeah, I didn't just say that. I did. She didn't. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Do we want to talk about maps? Are we ready to talk about maps? Let's get into it. Maps. So the question for today, are maps real? <laughs> Because I'm looking at a lot of maps. Oh and great question. The, I know it sounds absurd, but no, it's, good. it's a good jumping off point. I mean, they are. That, that reminded we me of. Establish um, that. That reminded me of Broad City, the witch episode, <laughs> when Abby is like, witches aren't real, you guys. And Bever's like, what do you think's going on here? Do you think this is all just literal stuff? <laughs> 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 Can we watch that after? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. No, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is that all these maps are hilariously different. This stuff's pretty murky. And we don't really know even 
if we have it down today, I would say that maybe we don't. So, well, I think, and we'll get into this, I think, because this episode is definitely going to lean philosophical mm-hmm. pretty quick. But just the concept of trying to map out something that you can only really experience a certain way, but map it in an objective way is just difficult and flawed to Making begin with. Making a 3D thing 2D yeah, just yeah. inherently makes it not yeah. <laughs> correct. <laughs> exactly. Just uphill battle. In the nature of the object. Yeah. And uh, scale, too. So before we get into all that and start working through some of these heavy questions concerning maps, Mariah, do you want to tell us a little bit about maybe one, what drew you to maps and two, what your thesis research was about? Sure. I have liked maps as long as I can remember. Truly. As long (laughs) as I can remember. It's one of like the stories that my dad likes to tell people when we go places, just like my constant excitement over atlases, being near them, having them, touching them, knowing where to go. Geography has always been my jam. And so that part of it has been like a through line of my life. And then I didn't think about it necessarily like in an art historical context. I mean, I knew people drew them and that they were an art object. But one of my thesis advisors before she became my advisor was like, maps are in right now. Have you thought about that? Just like as an offhanded thing. And I was like, oh, that speaks to me. Yeah. That feels authentic. Let's look into this. And mm. that's how that whole doing it in grad school thing Definitely. happened. But I've always liked them. It makes sense that maps are very in right now because post-colonial theory is very in right now. Yeah. And I feel like attacking a map from a post-colonial lens is a very... Oh, yeah. It's hot right now. Yeah, it's a that's yeah. a that's just <laughs> a good is. straightforward way to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a really fascinating topic because I would say probably ninety percent of my research came from books published in the past five years. Nice. So it's very much happening now. I'm like, awesome. what are people thinking? What does it mean? Most writing about maps has been done obviously in the geography context and sort of just general history. So like looking at them as an art object has been a really new direction for people, which was very exciting for me too. It's yeah. like, oh, this is nice. It's easy to be like, oh, is my thesis going to be unique? Yes, because it's literally being done right now. Though it was also very stressful because I was in constant worry that they were going to publish a book. Oh, yeah. Like just oh, with things I wanted, saying what I'm saying. That That's sort of very thing. much how I felt about my thesis, yeah. too. Like <laughs> everyone was writing about the thing or starting mm-hmm. to get on board with this like craft and craft activism. And my thesis advisor wanted me to publish and stuff. But if I'm being completely honest, I don't know that I was saying that much that other people weren't also saying. Like it came from me. But I think similarly, my thesis topic was something that a lot of people were giving a lot of attention all at one time. Mm -hmm. And so you have this weird like, oh, like a lot of people are coming to these same realizations, you know. I was thinking about you recently because there's been a whole like slew of books coming out about women's anger and women's rage that were like just freakishly timed on like the moment. I Mm -hmm. just read about like and so I'm like, oh, like how there's five or six people writing a book on the same topic that are all coming from their own places, but are all very of the moment because like you were doing your work and then the Women's March happened and that sort of thing. Exactly. It happens. Lucky. It happened super serendipitously, but obviously I wasn't the only person making those connections with this super high profile thing that was going on, you know? So yeah, I'd imagine with this, like we said, being hot right now, post-colonial theory, Mm -hmm. looking at maps, thinking about what maps mean, people who are working in that are going to run into a lot of the same questions. It is funny because now that I'm my thesis, I like (laughs) tried because it's too much to do in a master's thesis. Didn't talk that much about postcolonial theory just because it's being talked about in so many ways with people who are so much more qualified than I am at the present moment to like pull out all the theory. So I focused mine on knowledge and ignorance and the unknown. Like I looked at maps in terms of how do you show the bottom of the world before you actually knew it was there, which touches on post-colonial. Exactly. For sure. I I was going to say your whole theoretical arc ties into post-colonial theory though. Like even if you didn't specifically use post-colonial research, the theoretical underlying stuff from your research is very applicable to Mm -hmm. that approach to Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Do you want to say maybe a little bit more about like kind of what your whole thesis thing was? (laughs) (laughs) My my thesis was looking at this newfangled theory 
called agnotology, which is the study of mm. culturally induced ignorance um, and how that applies to that's the art a, world and how it applies to maps in particular. That's dope. And I looked at one map, <laughs> just one, made by a Dutch guy in 1608 and how he represented what was commonly referred to as the terra incognita or unknown land, which is Antarctica before they knew what was there. And also most of the Pacific Islands, Africa, I mean, the Terra Incognita shifted forms throughout its history, but this is right before they actually knew what was at the bottom. So the sort of last moment before you couldn't just make up stuff Mm -hmm. anymore. Can you say that word for us again? The culturally induced ignorance? Agnotology. Agnotology. That's a good word. It's a great word. Keeping that one. Mm -hmm. It's made up by a guy at Stanford. Oh, of um, course. Named Robert Proctor. <laughs> and it refers mostly in reference to scientific things, like the guy who made up the term. His research is actually on smoking and how propaganda. So it's not been used in an art historical context really at all. And so it's very much like how do we, there's a few different kinds of ignorance. And so that's sort of like a whole chunk of my thesis and a whole chunk of what this idea is. Like it's not always a bad thing. Like when you're a baby, you don't know lots of things. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of ignorance. And scientific discovery, like the fact that you don't know things spurs you on and spurs you into oh, looking definitely. at what's over there. And by nature of looking at one thing, it means you're not looking at something else. That's its own form of ignorance. And then there's the shady kind, you know, like I'm going to trick you. I'm going to purposefully yeah. gaslight you. I mean, it's a very relevant right. topic of the now too, in terms of how do we use ignorance as a culture to push forward ideas and and that sort of thing. Definitely. That reminds me of this comic by Poorly Drawn Lines, which is a fantastic account that you should check out if you haven't. The other day, and it was just these two mice. One was like, you're wrong. And the mouse was like, I'm not wrong. I just didn't know that I wasn't right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I loved that. I was like, that is real, though. I think that's a different, more nuanced form of ignorance. You know, there are different layers to that concept. And I just thought that that was really smart. And a different form of, yeah, there's a difference between doing something wrongfully and then just not knowing and how those different approaches to just knowing information like can play out, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And what they say about intention and there's so much to it. <laughs> no, and I thought a lot about privacy and celebrity image and how they like constructed it. I didn't pull it into my thesis, but I'm not even that guilty, but just a guilty pleasure is celebrity gossip and all of that. And just like how do celebrities construct their own image? And mm-hmm. that's a lot of purposeful ignorance. Beyonce doesn't let you see into her life in any meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. So she's constructing this play between what you get to know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so she's using purposefully culturally induced ignorance to frame her own image yeah for her own benefit she's perfectly entitled to do that so it's not always nefarious yeah yeah it's not bad it's just you know keeping (laughs) more secrets and those sorts of things or or a version of it but that's not always that bad yeah because that's also a complicated thing i don't know how to be like a world leader during wartime like obviously you think that being transparent is super important but war is complicated i don't know that all people should know everything all the time you know (laughs) i don't know it's a complicated thing yeah yeah so i took that complicated thing and just plopped it on a map yeah (laughs) wow (laughs) i really loved your thesis presentation and i thought that you were just great and this idea that the parts of the world that we don't know just don't exist right (laughs) like so you know something's there but you don't know what so it just becomes like a purposefully ignored thing i feel like we do that a lot with knowledge in general Mm -hmm. just like that sounds hard and i don't know enough about that so i'm just gonna pretend it doesn't exist and there's something about that too where yeah it can be nefarious but it also just be overwhelming yeah (laughs) if you try to take on understanding a whole part of the world that you don't even know if it really exists that's a lot you know like no this is framed european map culture for a long time Mm -hmm. like before in the greek roman medieval times they're like we don't know what's down there so we're just gonna make this squiggly blob monsters (laughs) yeah monsters like i don't know it can't be good for whatever reason a theory started in greek 
eras and then continued through Roman writings of the equator was like this burning wall of right. heat oh and that God. the ocean <laughs> was boiling and that you couldn't go through it. And so that's a coping mechanism for like the world is just too big. I don't know what's down there. And it's also, I don't know, like a Truman Show type of yeah. situation where you want to just keep your people safe and like mm-hmm. in one place. <laughs> so you're, yeah, there's monsters and a fiery it's wall. Bad. And yeah. like it's just you don't want to go there. Yeah, you go don't want to do it. And so I think, yeah, there's like a fear inducing aspect to it as well as a means of trying to probably keep people safe or mm-hmm. encourage them to, you know, stay where they are. Yeah. That reminds me too of when some of us here had a seminar on the body in ancient Greek art and we talked a lot about monsters and read a lot about monster theory kind of in general but, you know, with the Greeks cuz they would have monsters as a way of acting like border patrol almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you'd read or hear stories from Greek mythology, usually bad shit happened to people when they were away from the polis, from like the city state, which, you know, was safe and controlled and protected. And then once you cross that border, you could come upon a cyclops. Yeah. Just think of like the Odyssey. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was just I mean, training. So many monsters. Yeah, exactly. The lesson there was stay home and it'll all be good and you're not going to come across these big meanies that want to eat you. Yeah. It's like M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Jesus. (laughs) But yeah, these monsters that kind of kept this community in one little place so they didn't experience Mm -hmm. the outside world. Yeah. So I don't mean to sound silly, but do we know of the first map When did we as humans start to conceive the world as this whole place that we want a visual representation of where things are? They're doing it everywhere for a long time. But in terms of the Western world, in quote marks, Babylon, there's a stone tablet that has a sort of generally circular representation of the world with little like, here's this place, here's this place, here's this place. You know, a very limited conception, but a general directions yeah like a general visual layout of where everything is and it continued or there's writings of them at least not every map has survived but there's been pretty generally a consistent like people are trying to represent the world in some way around them for a very very long time when they're doing it in other parts of the world too the one that comes to mind to me is like an australian aboriginal art like their entire artistic practice is representing the world around them not on like a global scale but around them in some facet Mm -hmm. there's these cool stick maps from the marshall islands and like the pacific of mapping the waves and mapping the ocean so that you can get around when you live on a desert atoll (laughs) you just need to go to other places to find resources so there's all kinds of different things that might not be familiar to our eyes but people have been trying to be like where am i where's my friend's house (laughs) where's the food where's the water yeah Um, for a really long time which it's a great question to think about like who decided one day i think i'm gonna I'm going to draw this. Mm-hmm. Someone who kept getting lost. <laughs> yeah, it was like, here's how you get over here. My ancestors. Like, <laughs> um. <laughs> Nat is not gifted in I'm straight directionally challenged. <laughs> I have Girl. no idea what is around me. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too. I was thinking about this, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but just this idea that most of us are so used to having GPS technology nowadays Mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't even know how to read a map. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember being like a teenager when I first got a car and just having the AAA maps that... I could look at and that's how I would map navigate. quest dude map yeah. quest I didn't you have print out your map quest right yeah, yeah and map quest was wrong <laughs> like a lot of the time I was having this was like a year ago but conversation with with Templeton with Alan Templeton about how having GPS having Google Maps on our phones it's really destroying our abilities to retain how to get places which is 100% true. There were times living in Davis, California which is not a big town. It's a grid. It's like, a grid. It's a flat street. It's a flat grid. It's small. I lived there for two years and there were times I still used like Google Maps to get places yep. which is absurd. Like that's an absurd thing because we're just so reliant on that 
that we're not using our brains to map shit out anymore. We're just mm-hmm. yeah. relying on our phone to map Can it out I for us. Can I play devil's advocate, though, and say that maybe that is allowing us to retain information about other things that now we don't need to worry about retaining <laughs> I think that's totally... <laughs> that's, <You> know? <laughs> that's totally a fair point to make, but I also think that that concept spans out because actually we had a conversation about this a while back, how like technology and phones for like the younger generation we don't have a strong long-term memory yeah. capacity mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're we just can always get the information so yeah. we don't have to like process yeah we don't have to yeah. process information right. to that deep learning space because we always know we can just get it mm-hmm. whereas previous generations were more capable of sending the information through that deep learning long-term right. memory yeah. space right. while yeah i think just from like a futuristic standpoint that's a totally fair assessment there's also this idea like but how are we neglecting our long-term like are we not exercising our long-term memory yeah. Yeah. what does it mean to outsource your memory exactly to an item exactly. like what it, i mean it's nice but Whoa. what does it do to your actual brain yeah yeah, yeah exactly. that's such a good way to think of it outsourcing our memory oh, what like that. that should be the title of a of a something. Of a book, probably. Ted <laughs> yeah, Radio like, You know, dystopian future where we can't remember shit. Because yeah. <laughs> they're like, where did my... Oh my goodness. I mean, it connects to... If you want to think about other futuristic dystopian stuff, Elon Musk had his whole thing on whatchamacallit's podcast. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's podcast, where he was talking about how next step is basically implanting little computers like our cell phones in our brains because we're so attached to them, we're already like cyborgs. Mm-hmm. And like... Might as well just make it final. Yeah. Just acknowledge the relationship. <laughs> and that is legitimately outsourcing your memory to technology. Some Black Mirror shit. Yeah. I literally. don't like that at all. <laughs> Have you guys seen that episode of Black yeah, Mirror? I really <laughs> just couldn't. Alarming. You know, I was really late to the Black Mirror game and I watched the first season. And then I was like, that's, I'm good. Like I just, was I like, watched this is too agreed. much. I haven't. Yeah, it's pretty like, good. I was I like, I can't the handle this. Like, season got really dark. I don't know. I watched one episode and I was done. I couldn't go. The pig fucker yeah, episode. I couldn't. Oh, I, could, yeah. I was like, no. Nope, that was this grotesque. Is too yeah. much for me. I can't. I'm handle sorry. This. Did you say pig fucker? I mean, that's what Spoiler happened. Spoiler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, haven't the, you haven't seen that this, one, John? The prime minister. Isn't that the first episode? Yeah, that's the first the episode. UK, someone, some like loose relation of the royal family is kidnapped and she will only be released if the prime minister fucks a pig on live television. Okay, I'm wrong. I watched <laughs> I watched the newest season that got came it, out okay. with my friend who was like, I'm watching Black Mirror. Do you want to watch it? That's all I saw. And you can do that because they're individual. Right, yeah, exactly. Totally. That's and, a nice thing. It's always there. Right. And so, no, I am not familiar <laughs> with the pig fucker episode and I kind of don't right want to yeah, know right about it. That, yeah, that was the first one for me and that was far too much for me. I yeah. couldn't, like I love weird like trippy shit that makes you think but my sensitivities couldn't handle yeah. it there, you <laughs> there are other ones I've watched I haven't ever watched it in a steady stream of like episode 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 but I've watched some other ones that I enjoyed and appreciated a lot more than the pig fucker one yeah <laughs> it was an interesting choice to start out with yeah they put all the cards out yeah. there right away right yeah, this is true. who we are they didn't tell you for that. yeah like if something gets right. awry yeah whoa 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 <laughs> Anyway, maybe. so maps. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to maps. Actually, so, maybe let's take a quick break. Okay, yeah, let's, look, let's take a break. A little, let's. That's let's, a good idea. A, a, message, a, a message from our sponsors. Mm. Boop. We have returned from our snack break. Snack break. Sponsorship break. Thank you, sponsors. <laughs> We're here with our pal Mariah, fellow art history babe, talking about maps. Where did we leave off? What were we talking about? We were talking about Black Mirror, <laughs> which was interesting and interesting, an interesting tangent. Yeah. So I want to know a little bit more, Mariah, about your thesis and just what's up with this map made by this Dutch guy? Good question. <laughs> I looked very closely at one particular map that had a ton of decoration on it. And the space I looked at, like I just sort of mentioned before, was how did he represent the bottom of the world? So he called it the Terra Incognita. So just literally said, 
I don't know what's down here. (laughs) And then covered it with things. And so his particular version of things were diagrams of how he made the map and then portraits of other explorers and then tiny maps of their routes around the world. Oh, Um, Which is the only map, this is a great time to say, if somebody finds another example of something like this, let me know. Oh, cool. This is the only Mm -hmm. one I can find and know of with such a very meta example of mapping to put on an area you don't know, put explorers like Magellan and Cook and another British guy who did the same thing as Sir Francis Drake. And then a Dutch guy, just the set of explorers who sailed around the world. And then Columbus and Amerigo Vespucci on each side. Just all of these funny little portraits. Well, Columbus Um, shouldn't have even been on there. I mean, he got lost. He didn't get a map. So um, so hilarious. Columbus and and Vespucci didn't get a map. They're just little. They're like second rate cartographers. Yeah, just like bookends. Just like, hey, I should throw them in there. There's no like little text. Yeah, Mm -hmm. just like, oh, I should acknowledge Mm -hmm. them because they're people, I guess. Fine. the maps are. That's oh, and Ptolemy gets a map. Oh, so that's so interesting. How did you end up on that map? Like, when did you encounter that map and say, like, okay, this, this has is, everything that I want to talk about? This is the map. That's a good question too. I was looking at this very dense book about the antipodes, which is the name that they used to give the other part of the world. It just means people with their feet opposite. So just like what's on the other side of the world is what they used to call the terra incognita. And I was reading a book about medieval representations of that part of the world. And then when we got near the epilogue of the book, there was just like a quick zoom in picture of this map. The same guys inherited the tradition from another cartographer named Mercator, which I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys have talked about Mercator before and mm-hmm. his like the problematic. Mer- yeah, because the Mercator map is the foundation of like the Eurocentric map. Mm-hmm. And exactly. like we still use it improperly and that right? sort of thing. So this <laughs> yeah. guy named Jodicus Hondius inherited, wow. meaning he went and bought these copper plates from Mercator's uh-huh. estate sale and then carried on the traditions. They were kind of mentioning him and like there was a zoom in of this map and I was like, what the fuck? This is very strange. And so that's piqued my interest. And I was sort of stewing on the idea of ignorance and knowledge. And so rather than the sort of traditional way people had represented the bottom of the world, which is either to put nothing, to fill it with all kinds of other decoration, distract from the fact Mm -hmm. that there was nothing, Mm -hmm. or fill it with monsters, he put signs of knowledge. So very much like these large descriptive cartouches filled with like, this is the math that makes this map work. And these diagrams of everything, Mm -hmm. like very much like explicit scientific instructions. He then puts these little tiny bios and little portraits and little maps of these people who had sailed around the world, both successfully and unsuccessfully because Magellan died. But his whole boat. Yeah, everybody made it like certain amounts of people on his journey made it around. But I thought it was a really fascinating way to conceptualize the unknown by using very overt forms of knowledge. Mm -hmm. What did that mean? Mm -hmm. And so I sort of thought about that and I sort of interpreted it as Dutch propaganda. This was when the Dutch were doing their thing, sailing everywhere in a very fascinating way because they weren't necessarily trying like the British or the Portuguese to kind of just take land or the Spanish to just like get land. They were like, you know what? I'm going to go put a trading post over here Mm -hmm. and over here and over here. And it led to a ton of exploration on the part of the Dutch. And so I sort of interpreted this as, hey, look, like, look at all these people who made it. And like, look at this really illustrious space it's very scientific somebody else should do it someone should fund something like this to kind of continue our power on the world stage and yeah this is right before it's made within sort of 50 years before people got to australia so this is before they knew what was down that far and within 100 years before they were like oh no there's not this gigantic continent i guess i didn't mention like people thought there was just this gigantic continent of like jungle paradise down at the bottom of the world they could go extract resources from and there would be these indigenous peoples like there were in other parts of the world so Mm -hmm. they were like oh look we'll go tap that yeah (laughs) and then people kept going and sailing lower and lower and lower and they were like you know what it's real cold down here (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah this is like last like a couple of decades before they're like oh no we actually know what's down there so it's the last little flash of propaganda time i guess <laughs> honestly maps are propaganda yeah yes totally 100 <laughs> like- i know i wanted to kind of talk about 
And I mean, I thought about this when you brought up Mercator and stuff, but how even today, most of our maps that are used in elementary school classrooms, like mm-hmm. real maps are still pretty wrong. Like we still have issues with scale. Yes. And like Africa being smaller than it actually is. Right. Way too small. Way too small. <laughs> Just to like fit it comfortably in the map. Yeah, you can fit the entire world in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> like almost. And for so long, it's just proportionally made to look like it's what I think it's made to look like smaller than the United States. The entire or- southern hemisphere is off. Yeah. So everywhere yeah. south and the United States is off to Europe. The way yeah, the Mercator yeah. projection is like China is too small. Mm-hmm. The United States is too small. But Europe is weirdly inflated and part of this is just you have to choose a way to flatten a circle yeah and it's going to make things wonky but mercator did it that way and obviously it's like if i'm trying to measure distance i'm going to be doing it based on what i know and then it just kept going and so there's all kinds of different things called projections which is just different versions of how you represent the world the one that's probably the closest to accurate is called the gall peters projection they sort of redid it in the 70s and there's a great west wing episode as well that talks about like how the projections and the sort of perceptions Mm -hmm. of how big things are relative to everything else is off the way we look at it we think greenland is like gigantic that's like my favorite example because people are like oof greenland it's a lot of land it takes up a lot of space if they're actually thinking about maps which is unlikely (laughs) but it's really only it's like the size of california you know so like this space it takes up on the map is really off Africa is huge. South America is huge. Australia is quite large as well. And mm-hmm. so these things that we think are just meh, it's kind of the same size yeah. or slightly smaller than the United States is not accurate. Accurate. And I noticed too, I was on Google Maps the other day, not too long ago. And I don't even remember I was looking. Oh, I think it's because I'm about to drive across the country. So I was kind of planning that out. And Google Maps has started to do things where it is accurate because it's on the internet so you don't have to have a completely flat Mm -hmm. surface you can have a 3d model and it kind of blew my mind and like the fact that when i think about the united states i think about it as just straight across Mm -hmm. but the world is tilted Uh (laughs) and you don't think about the fact that if you're looking at a map you kind of assume that where we are in northern california is going to just line straight across the united states but that's not true because the globe is tilted so where we are in northern california like the united states is at a diagonal Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Uh, and like it was like the first time i was ever like shit <laughs> like when you're like, on a plane and you yeah. see like how your plane is flying if you go a long distance yeah. and you're like that makes no sense to me yeah. and you're like oh but the earth is curved so if you actually they're implanting the actual route right. on a flat map right so it looks it's like real why weird. are you going this why? big part like over the ocean yeah like, like why are we going... going to canada on our way to europe like i don't understand yeah you think you're on the same horizontal space on the planet as mm-hmm. this other city but you're not at all because mm-hmm. everything's tilted it's just never been represented that way. No. It's just like... And it's tricky. Like, I'll give poor sweet cartographers around oh, the yeah, land or yeah. trying to flatten the sphere. You know, globes have it right because it's just right mm-hmm. on a sphere. But it can't even fathom trying to figure but out the math. I googled accurate world maps and it's confusing. Like, all the different ways people can do it. It kind of messes with your mind. Mm-hmm. So I understand. There's all kinds of, like, wonky sort of curvy ones that sort of do scoops and... Yeah, because like, you just choose your direction that you're kind of angling from and it all looks completely different Mm -hmm. it's like it takes you a second dang (laughs) yeah it's crazy because still even with globes when i think back to being a kid and looking at globes i think to make sense of it in your own brain you kind of correct even like you tilt with the globe to make sense of Mm -hmm. it but by doing that you're skewing what you're looking at you know (laughs) well there's confusing things like this was a part of cartographic speak in the medieval times was just like it's very confusing for your brain to be like wait that's upside down from me how did they stand on it so that was like in addition to the earth is burning in the middle and we can't go through (laughs) they were like nobody can live on the bottom to be sure like you'd fall off yeah you you can't stand upside down if you're there was land down there there's no people in it certainly and if they are there they're monsters (laughs) because you know they have some other powers i mean Checks out. <laughs> and so there's a certain logic to it. And it is confusing when you're a kid. You're looking at a globe. You're like, but, oh, yeah. But like all of that, aren't you? Like, because we're on the upper part and it sort of makes general sense for us, like mm-hmm. with science and gravity and what we learn generally. But the bottom of the world is confusing to a European, North American right. sort of. Yeah. And it's hard to go Mind. down there, you know? Yeah. It's out of the way. It's, it's cold. It's out of the way. It's a lot of ice. It's hard to get there, mm-hmm. you know? 
So how then, I don't want to make, uh, I shouldn't even say this because I feel like we're just going to go off on this crazy tangent, but how can you possibly observe these things and still insist on a flat earth? <laughs> oh, grief, I just yeah. don't think I they don't observe even... these things, right? Like, do they <laughs> they just, just like this is look... where the ignorance comes in? Yeah, like, they're like, I don't, you know, it's... Haven't seen it. Honestly, my instinct is that because everything we just said, it's kind of more complicated to believe the truth. Yeah. And it's like it's- flat earth is a concept that really when you look at all these things, all these aspects of what makes human life on earth and like mapping of the earth difficult, it's easier to digest the idea of no, it's just flat and there mm-hmm. are boundaries because that's the dimension we live in. Yeah. I think it kind of is easier to make sense of that. And that's why people believe it and that's why people believe a lot of conspiracy theories is because they are easy answers for complicated questions what's lots occam's razor like yeah easiest answers the simplest one 100 percent. sometimes though that can go if you just get in a boat and sail around the world you'll eventually get back to where you came from <laughs> so like that's really easy but, yeah i yeah. get the you like, hope that that's sense. what happens <laughs> that's true it doesn't always happen yeah so i can imagine that spending a good deal of time studying maps you had to have come across some real wild fringe theories about what the world is like and whether or not we know where everything is now do you think we know where everything is now no okay no for the most part it's advanced a ton satellites help I mean, being creepy and spying. Just generally, though, there's lots of great, wonderful weather and science satellites doing things. You can really get a sense of where stuff is, though um, there's lots of stuff we still don't know about where, where it might be located, what it is, how to map it. Things are shifting generally. Where my mind went was the ocean yeah yes. the ocean's really tricky so the ocean we know like so nothing uncharted. about and yeah. like <laughs> deepest of jungle people are still like i don't know what's over there there's yeah. monsters down there <laughs> i mean let me tell you that you've seen the deep sea planet earth it kind of uh, right oh gosh i love watching that shit me too it's i love amazing. deep ocean fish mm-hmm. they're so weird and crazy and i love it so much yeah. but yeah we know so little about the ocean it's like a completely different world almost yeah, and, and then like what do we count as a map and what do we count as what we know and yeah don't know, you know do we know where every like human settlement is no do there's we know actually where- a really good episode of stuff you should know about are there people that are truly off the grid like are there unaccounted for people and there are there's not a lot of them are they talking about like laser scanning the lidar yeah <sighs> there cool. are i mean there's not a lot but there mm-hmm. are pockets of what appears to be according to like heat radar and stuff mm-hmm. known undocumented people where i don't remember mostly the amazon <laughs> yeah probably the amazon but mostly the amazon. you're all Whoa. you will all have to listen to that episode because i don't remember the details <laughs> do they think that there's people there because there's like heat they're doing this thing and i don't know the science that well behind it but it's just very useful for all kinds of other sites in the world they're doing this thing called lidar which is an acronym for something with lasers so they're flying over these places and scanning mostly in the jungle because it's really difficult to see what's underneath mm-hmm. all the vegetation and the lasers can kind of get through all the organic material and see what the land is actually doing, what kind of structures there might be that are more solid than just piles of leaves and brush and sort of just tree gunk. And so they're seeing these things that they're like, well, that looks like a really perfect square and another perfect square and other like things. Like a settlement of yeah, some sort. Like, yeah. So they're seeing things that resemble forms made by humans you know there'll be like a levy or some sort of berm or things like that and they're using it a ton in ruins in the yucatan and in honduras and guatemala to sort of see how big sites like tikal or somewhere like that would have been at their actual peak because like what you can actually see in the jungle is so small because Mm -hmm. the jungle is intense (laughs) and so looking at that that's how they're kind of investigating other parts of the world to see what's going on i wonder we talked about this at some point on some episode and it was on a ted radio hour podcast and there was an archaeologist who was using i think it was laser and satellite Satellite. imagery to uncover all of these mostly in egypt but she also (sighs) did some in rome just finding all these vast amounts of different build-up layers of different civilizations and different structures and it was all done without actually digging into the ground yes space archaeology yeah Mm -hmm. which is really interesting too because especially in terms of thinking about maps is how they're such temporal constructs where how do you convey that when 
the main thing is like making a map of what is currently built, but there's so many layers. And then just with the natural progression of the world where things get covered up Mm -hmm. and then they get uncovered. You know, I've seen maps that try and combine, like I have a map of Rome where it's like past and present. And it's a weird map Mm -hmm. because it has current streets and structures in Rome with them, these sort of ghost shadow structures there too. And that's their way of trying to show the crossover between the two, which is visually interesting, but it's also like you have to pick and choose because you can't do it all visually. Yeah. Maps across that could get very many, intense. Yes. <laughs> many a century. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's, yeah. The laser thing is interesting <laughs> in mapping. It's super fascinating. Like yeah. there's a babysit a sweet, sweet little gem of a child sometimes. And he's very into documentaries of all sorts. And Aww. so we recently watched one about them laser scanning Egyptian pyramids yes. to figure out how are they constructed? Mm-hmm. Like where are the passages? So you don't have to dig into right. these things. You can see where the cavities are inside yep. and where yep. things are without yep. having to actually do it. And it's really interesting. And it's it really like helps. Non-invasive prove- surgery. Yeah. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. Like I think they've been doing it in Xi'an with the terracotta warriors. They haven't excavated where the actual emperor is buried for a multiplicity of reasons. So I think they've been stewing and or starting laser scanning to be like, what's in there? That's awesome. You know, I think that the overall level of curses is going to go down, you know, because now we don't <laughs> actually have to bust words. in there. You know? <laughs> Keep curses uh, to a minimum. Yeah. <laughs> All those cursed early 20th century archaeologists. Uh, so many of like, them. Damn it. Only <laughs> <laughs> we had had lasers. lasers. <laughs> I can see inside. Oh, that's good. They're saying this from their never ending hell. Yeah. <laughs> their restless eternal slumber. <laughs> It's still uh, spooky season as we <laughs> record. We're, so. we're still feeling spooky. Let's take another quick break and then maybe come back and look at some contemporary artists that are playing with maps and oh, cartography mm-hmm. and stuff like that. We'll be right back. Bye. We're back. Hello. Hi. And we're going to look at some fun examples of ways that contemporary artists are either engaging with cartography or commenting on cartography or making cool, fun things that are in relation to maps. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Yeah. I know so little about things after 1800. Right. Same. Wait, are there more maps? Like, do people keep making material? It couldn't be. Is it not on my phone? Like, wait. All right. So these are fun. Some examples of minimalist metropolitan maps, like maps of cities and bus systems We're and things like, like this. A tube map. Yeah. Ooh. And then just turning it into a minimalist <laughs> awesome. representation mm-hmm. of these colors and lines. Yep. Yeah. It's cool, right? It's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And I it's love like, the color coding just naturally that appeals to my yeah. to my eye. I'm like, oh, I'll just take the purple one. Yeah. Like, have you you guys seen that map I have? I mean, it's from the early 20th century London where they started color coding London based on wealth. So black is the poorest of the poor color. And then the riches of the rich is like a really deep red. And they're really beautiful maps. Like you just have this whole array because they started doing surveys and color coding it just for their records. That's a heavy way to start dividing and color coding yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right. They do it's it later light. in the States in a really awful, horrifying uh-huh. way of mm-hmm. just like, oh, look, that's where other people are. We mm-hmm. can bulldoze that part of town. Yeah. yeah. Sacramento yeah. did it. It's icky. Oh. It's no good. Anyway, but pretty lines. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, so to the pretty lines. These it's are like cool. the happiest arteries in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Oh, that's a nice one. Mm. Yeah, they're kind of like, I don't know, abstract feeling. They're very... That's really fun because it's like without any of the words, this is just... It's like you take the metro map and remove all of the actual information. So it's just the lines. Exactly. And that's really interesting to perceive how people move about a space. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, just because it's the humans. it's the bare bones of it. It's mm-hmm. the bare bones of the system that it's, humans mm-hmm. created. You it's know? almost like migration trails. Yeah, city city yep. migration pilgrimage trails. routes, perhaps. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, very interesting. We'll obviously put some images up on our website if you guys want to see these as well. These are by yeah. Peter Dovac. 
did these. Pete, I'm, I'm looking at this same article. There's many different artists here that are featured. If you scroll all the way down, it's a map of the world made up of matchsticks. <laughs> and over it, it says everything is ending. And then they set it on fire. <laughs> Ooh. That's pretty cool. That was Javier. The, oh, wow. Habalera. Climate change thing to the very dark. <gasps> yeah. That looks like a Mercator projection. It's still, yeah, exactly. That, definitely. It's your classic map. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a performance aspect here. Performance meets map, which is very interesting. Very good. Mm-hmm. Did, all of, did any of you have a map painted on the asphalt at your elementary school? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also could be performance meets map. Mm-hmm. Oh, can we talk for a second about, this is something that has always interested me. People who like tattoo maps on their bodies and then will fill in when they've been places. I've seen that, yes. Yeah, that's a thing. People like tattoo coordinates of important life events, which is... Or just states. A lot of times people get states on their body. That's a big one. But I've definitely seen it done a few times getting a whole, basically like a Mercator projection map on your back and filling in when you go places. Very strange. I have a question. Is there a, a map that you do endorse? (laughs) <laughs> I endorse them all as an art object, you know, okay. in terms of like, it's just too tricky. Like, what about a- like as political objects, you know? It's hmm. a good question. In terms of just how, so we know that the Mercator map is Eurocentric and just altogether not accurate, right? Yeah, it's accurate in certain capacities, right. but not in other ones. I would say in terms of like, how do you perceive in terms of just like, hey, do I understand what the sizes of everything are? The Peter's projection is good just because it gives you a sense, although it's like everything is squished. Like it's still jarring to the eye and you couldn't navigate with it. I don't even know if I would ever, yeah, even endorse a map just because they're so particular as to what you're doing. And I love that about them. It's the idea that really like these objects, they're built as though they're objective, are never Are never objective, objective, ever, ever. So you make them what you want them to be. Like I love, this is a plug for something that I presume your listeners would like, that New York Times, I'm a subscriber to the online stuff and they're map game their graphic game is oh yeah out of control it's so good they are great oh yeah they're just doing great stuff and so i don't even care about the projection it's like okay like what are the demographics of like they have every precinct from the 2016 election mapped out yeah who voted in what way just these really interactive things they've just mapped like every building yeah new york times is just phenomenal Corey and i a information design class in grad school and we definitely you would have been really into that love yeah the professor was a fan of new york times infographics infographics Um, are just so good yeah so good worth the subscription it makes me so excited (laughs) yeah and it is it's just an interesting intersection of design you know aesthetics what's going to grab people's eye but how can we convey information in the most straightforward way as possible Mm -hmm. you know and i think when you look at things like maps yeah there's this whole spectrum of you have people who really took that challenge seriously in terms of what they're trying to portray to people and then other people that you know it was more of like i'm just gonna do what feels good to me (laughs) you know yeah which is fine or yeah in terms of conveying information like national geographic obviously does all kinds of maps Mm -hmm. and they're trying their best and it just really depends on what information you're trying to convey and it's always going to be fucked up in some manner like you're always gonna be excluding something well it's like the idea there is this meme a long time ago that i loved and it was stills taken from scooby-doo the scooby-doo cartoons it was one of the scenes where they're unmasking you know the bad guy or whatever you know how they're always like it turns out it was this person all along and the meme was it turns out that objectivity was just subjectivity all along (laughs) (laughs) and that like Mm -hmm. spoke to my soul because i feel like all throughout academia and the humanities and like whatever trail you go down the idea that anyone can put out information that isn't in some way colored by their own Mm -hmm. subjective thoughts and experiences is false it's absurd yeah it's It's just not not real you know like you can try your damnedest but you're going to pay attention to the things that your brain has been programmed to pay attention to everything is kind of biased in some way you know well and with you can't know everything about all the things like every this gets into my like ignorance research of just like every sentence you say does not reflect all of the knowledge of the whole world so just inherently in Mm -hmm. human thought 
thought. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to cover everything every time. There's an absurdist story for maps related to Lewis Carroll talking about like, oh, the best map is one that just covers your house and is to scale of the whole world. And that's the only way you're going to be true to reality is right. like actual reality. And you can't make a map of that because that's just silly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting thing to stew on. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. No, otherwise, it can just be pretty things, covered in pretty things, right. or useful ways to convey information. Yes. Or just weird things when you're like, oh, look, they only have three continents, and one of them is covered in people with a foot umbrella on top of their head, or, you know, that sort of thing. Totally. <laughs> you know. I mean, I think that's another, and you kind of talked about it with your research, too. So, like, already the representation, what maps are trying to depict But then you have this whole nother layer of when you look at maps that incorporate other illustrational ideas, like trying to going back to like the monster idea Mm -hmm. or like once you start adding on these layers, as opposed to this is just a place adding on these layers of characters or of illustrations of what a place might look like, it becomes kind of like a storybook narrative, you know, Mm -hmm. it becomes a very fictionalized type thing, which is really cool in some ways. But yeah. Yeah. I like to think of them as art objects and yeah. not mm-hmm. as this yeah. scientific data that has no point of view. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And so, I think yeah. it's also important to recognize that scientific data can have a point of view. Yeah. Like we want to think it doesn't. But it does. <laughs> and yeah, and maps, I think, are a great place where all that kind of collides, mm-hmm. you know. This one is just kind of fun. I'll just throw this one out because it's fun for art historians. It is a Klimt-inspired map of Manhattan. Whoa. I'll show you guys. Whoa. Oh. Ooh, shiny. Oh. That's really cool. Huh. Huh. That's nice. I like so the- I think that's a very clear example of an art object. Yeah. Yes. I don't think people are comfortable with yeah. that idea now. Yeah. That are, it, that's playing with being a map at mm-hmm. the same time, but it's clearly like it's decorative. Mm-hmm. It's a, an aesthetic mm-hmm. art object that mm-hmm. is also mapping out a space. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think people are comfortable with that sort of thing. It's like when you go to Disneyland or something, your map isn't like perfectly to scale. It's got like cartoonish versions yeah. of things. So you know right. where it is. You're right. like, oh, well, right. that's a way for me to get there, but I don't need it to be perfectly accurate. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Do we have any other thoughts? I mean, I think we dealt with some big theoretical concepts yes. on the nature of knowledge and knowing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you made that point that just because something is considered scientific doesn't make it entirely devoid of any like subjective mm-hmm. bias. Mm-hmm. That's what I hope people will take away from this episode is yeah. that maps are not objective. <laughs> They're really yeah. not. <laughs> They're just really not. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting things to kind of parse through in thinking about the way we use our immediate environments to make art objects, mm-hmm. the way we think about what is considered objective knowledge, the way we think about places and spaces that we're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, all of that intersects with maps. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes them cool and interesting. Maps. Yay. Check them out. Check them out. Also, (laughs) on our Patreon, we'll have a patron discussion forum section. So all of you patrons, if you want to parse through some of these. Some map chat. Yeah, map chat. (laughs) yeah. If you want to have some map chat, we'll have a discussion thread up for you guys to kind of share what you're thinking about this stuff. We'd love to hear it. Listener mail. Yep. Got it right here. Let's do it. All right. Subject line, Heart Vinny. Dear babes, thank you for your great work. Just listening to your Vinnie Van Gogh episode. I love his artwork, but most of all, Vinnie himself. This year, I was able to go to Amsterdam and visit the Van Gogh Museum. Also, in Melbourne, Australia last year, we have had a Van Gogh winter exhibition. 2018 was MoMA, which I loved again. During the Melbourne winter exhibition, the audio was based on an actor reading the letters of Van Gogh relating to the exhibited artwork, which added a lot to the experience. People only see him as somewhat an eccentric artist, but as you have said, he is just pure. Thank you for noting the fact that it is not the mental illness which solely made Van Gogh. He did suffer mental illness, but he was aware of his health and he was actually trying to get better. His struggle with mental illness has struck me and helped me along my journey too. I have am suffering from mental illness and there is always stigma towards medication treatment and awareness. However, throughout my journey, I have learned that life does not need to be hard in experience 
man, I don't need to experience constant unhappiness. It is easier to have more happy moments. And I've learned the easier way is not always about being lazy or taking a shortcut. It is simply about being wiser. No pain, no gain. Fuck that. You might gain something, but it still hurts, and why avoid unnecessary pain? Vinny has inspired me in many ways, and I am now super proud that I can confidently say life is beautiful. I fell in love with your podcast when I saw Fuck Again on your podcast episode list, and this was my debut episode of The Art History Babes. I finally got on Patreon, not much, but I hope it will be of some contribution to your great work. Thank you so much. This is so sweet. With my heritage being Japanese, if you ever have a chance, it would be great if you could have a chat about the daughter of Hokusai. Her work is very different from her dad, but is just as amazing. She was an independent woman with guts and love for art, just like Hokusai. Also, if you ever have a chance to come down under, we have great galleries in Australia, too, including many local and international artworks. All the best, girls, and I look forward to hearing many more episodes. Yumi. Ginny's wearing a Hokusai t-shirt right now. I am. She (laughs) is. I didn't even realize that. (laughs) Settle. <laughs> Thank that you. That would be dope to talk about his daughter. Yeah, I know. I yeah. really like that idea. Yeah, let's do it. We should make that happen. Yeah. Thank you so much for writing in and sharing your experiences. We love hearing how the stuff we make affects people in different ways. It is very important to us and we just thank you for sharing those things mm-hmm. and supporting us in any way. We love you. Yeah, and we're glad you enjoyed the Vinnie Mango episode so much. We really enjoyed making it, so it's good to hear. Yeah. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us today, you guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Check out all of our other stuff, all of our other content. Check out our YouTube for sure. If you like the Art History Babes and you like what we're doing, consider our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes to help us to keep making the content. Yeah. Every little bit helps. It does. We're out here hustling. So we really appreciate literally every single patron so much and every single listener. You guys are great and you're fantastic and supportive and awesome. Follow us on all the social medias. Yeah. Thank you, Mariah, for being with Thanks us today and you. talking yeah. to us about maps, something that we didn't consider before as even an episode that we would do. So this is really cool. I've enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Same. You all are a joy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. From Like my, um, my, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting over.